Kanye's workout plan ended up being the third single. And people, other people started really calling me to play talk box. So I, I played with, right before that, I had played with Tupac and the Outlaws, um, played talk box for Limp Biscuit, for Tyrese. Then after the Kanye, I did stuff with Big Boy, and I did this record Shutterbug and played talk box on Shutterbug. That ended up getting a Grammy nomination and being probably still to this day Big Boy's biggest record. You're listening to the Transcend Podcast. I'm your host, Asha Wilkerson, an attorney by training and an educator at heart. This podcast is all about empowering you to build a business and leave a legacy. Here's the thing. The wealth gap in America is consistently increasing. And while full-time entrepreneurship is not for everyone, even a side hustle can change your financial landscape if you're intentional about using your business to build wealth. I've run my own law firm for over 10 years, and in that time, I've helped countless California businesses go from idea to six figures. On this podcast, we talk about what it truly takes to build a sustainable business and find financial freedom. Let's dive in. Hey, hey, welcome back to another episode of Transcend the Podcast. As always, I am delighted that you are here today to listen to this episode. Now, this month we're talking about visibility and really putting yourselves out there so that your business and your brand can get the light that it deserves. And this guest today has amazing stories of visibility, networking, and just putting your idea and your product into market and not being dissuaded when there are little roadblocks or obstacles that come your way. So I am super excited to introduce you to my friend Bosco Conti. Bosco wrote and performed Talk Box on Grammy-winning albums by Dua Lipa and Kanye West, in addition to being a USC-trained mechanical engineer. He's also produced music and performed Talk Box for Drake, David Guetta, and Bruno Mars, just to name a few. When he was forced to lip sync his talk box part instead of performing live on the American Music Awards with Kanye West, he decided he had to reinvent the talk box and make it mobile. This led to the creation of Electro Spit and his invention, the tubeless mobile talk box. Bosco also helps musicians create their own businesses that don't depend on gigs and streaming at the nonprofit Black Music Enterprise Incubator that he founded in Oakland, California. Without further ado, let's dive right in. All right, welcome back to another episode of Transcend the Podcast. Today's guest, as you've already heard me introduce, is Bosco Conti. And I am still laughing because he just sat down and was like, all right, let's go. Tell me what you want to know. I just thought the delivery was perfect and hilarious. So uh, we're already in a good mood. How are you today? I'm great. I'm fantastic. This year has, the last year ended off great and so much opportunity is right in front of me. It's here. It's not even in front of me. I'm holding it and I'm walking with it. So I'm excited. Awesome. So, okay. Well, since we're starting with that, let's do this a little bit backwards. I was thinking about, you know, introducing everything that you have done in the past to get you to this moment, but let's actually just talk about what is it that you were holding in your hands that you were so excited about in this moment? Like right now is the culmination of all of the relationships that I've built over time with Electrospit. And I created a nonprofit called the Black Music Entrepreneurship Incubator. 
and we just won a grant for $707,000 to acquire the building and recording studio that Electrospit was founded in and where we currently operate out of. We also just got about a $350,000 investment in Electrospit. So that's going to enable us to hire, to do R&D on the next version of the product. So there's like basically two incredible projects have just got funded. And that's just the beginning because, you know, the excitement that's connected with that funding and that led up to that funding, there's people that are ready to help and be part of what we're doing. So it's just exciting. And I'm thankful for this, you know, this moment to like move forward with resources. <laughs> for sure. Right. With resources. Right. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, that's, you know, about a million dollars there in funding for two different projects. And that is no easy feat because like you said, resources, especially in the black and brown community, they aren't really limited, but we just don't necessarily know where to find them or how to get them. So talk to me a little bit about the Black Music Entrepreneurship Incubator. You said this is where you had founded Electrospit, but what is your vision for this incubator for Black music professionals? What are we doing with this? So the Black Music Entrepreneurship Incubator is where I got inspired I've always been an advocate for other artists and a mentor for the last seven years. I've been mentoring other artists through this organization called Zoo Labs, which is a nonprofit that Electrospit went through. We went through their accelerator and they provided, you know, incredible resources from studio time to technical assistance on software design, hardware development, relationships to manufacturers relationships to investors and help with pitching, life coaching, just a continual like open door policy in terms of helping Electrospit. And in addition to the resources that Zoo Labs helped us find, we found Electrospit, figured out how to crowdfund, how to use social media to sell our products, how to do influencer marketing, we figured out how to get more financing, loans, equity, crowdfunded financing, impact funding, you know, friends and family financing from social impact organizations like Runway, Education from Optima. So we put together like all of these resources to launch the company to go from an idea to a company that is, we had the number one song in the country. Last year, Electrospit was on the number one song, Levitating by Dua Lipa. It's been used by Stevie Wonder. And we, we just got funded for, we have about $300,000 in new funding. So we figured all of that stuff out. But it took us, it took us like seven years. And I got inspired during the George Floyd protests, especially to figure out what is like a structural or a meaningful way that I can share or how I can give back to the black community in particular. And the way that I determined was best was to, by sharing the blueprint for success for Electrospit and with other artists, which I believe has to do with looking at your artist as a business, not limiting your creativity to just music, using your creativity on your marketing, on your business model, 
on your hiring, on everything. And the Black Music Entrepreneurship Incubator is the vehicle to deliver all of the resources, all of the information, all of the network that, that we have found with Electra Spit to other artists. I love it. That's awesome. So it's not, I mean, you mentioned so many resources, right? Things that you joined Zoo Labs and then Zoo Labs was able to bring all of these pieces together to help you be successful from other relationships that they had within the community, which is so important, right? Because I think that oftentimes there's a narrative, especially in our communities about, first of all, who do you trust, right? But then there's also this narrative, like, just work hard and figure it out. You don't need anybody else. What if someone steals your idea? You know, all of these kinds of fear-based thinkings that will often keep us in the same place, but there is so much value in joining a community that can truly bring resources, you know, to the meeting where you're going to be once or twice a week. So that is awesome. But tell everybody what Electrospit is. I'm sure they're like, what is he talking about? He's an artist. There's a hardware thing he's talking about. There's a software, a number one song. Like what is Electrospit? I think it's awesome, but I want you to tell everybody else. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So rewind. So I'll go way back. I was born in Ghana. Way back. Okay. <laughs> I'll start from the beginning. I was born in West Africa. I thought you were going to say Portland, Oregon, because that's what we have in common. But I'm, look at me learning something new. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was born in Ghana in West Africa. I came over as a baby to Portland, Oregon. My mom was from Portland. My dad was from Ghana. I came from a musical family. My mom played French horn. My grandmother played trumpet. My great-grandfather played trumpet. My aunts, like at Christmas, we were all playing instruments. So I was surrounded by music my whole life. I was also surrounded by math teachers my whole life. So my mom was a math teacher. My, my mom is also, she's currently a, a civil engineer. And she was a math professor at Portland State. My grandmother was a math professor at Portland State and an electrical engineer. She was part of the team that developed the microwave. One of my cousins was part of the team that developed the laser. So he, he invented one of the, the types of lasers. So I have all of these scientists. He was also a clarinetist. So there's all of this music and math and engineering that's part of my family background. And we would, you know, at Christmas, we would play music and then we would play math games. So it, it was all kind of preparing me. Wow. <laughs> so I got a scholarship. I started breakdancing and when breakdancing got big and I won a set of turntables in a breakdancing contest. So then I started DJing, started using the money from DJing. This is middle school now. In middle school, I was making money as a DJ doing parties. <laughs> I took the money and bought like the drum machine, four track tape deck, you know, a computer. So I was like way ahead in terms of using computers with music because I couldn't afford like a high, like 24 track reel to reel studio time or, or studio equipment. So I replaced that with cheaper computer equipment. I was making songs with my friends in the basement. 4.0 student in uh, high school, class valedictorian, got a full ride scholarship to USC. Also played sports. I walked on the team at USC while I was the basketball team, sorry. Yes, I walked on the basketball team, not the football team. <laughs> Maybe I could have done that, but uh, I was a basketball fan. I love basketball. So played with Harold Miner, went to the NCAA tournament. So that was super fun. The reason that I decided to go to USC, because I also got into Stanford, is I wanted to be in the music business. And I knew the music business was in 
Los Angeles. When I got there, I started meeting people. Actually, one of the people on my basketball team, Tremaine Ankrum, he introduced me to this girl named Leah Reese, who was, he, she had a keyboard and she was, and she produced. And we started doing music together. Her boyfriend was this guy named Modo. Modo was AMG's best friend. AMG was DJ Quick's best friend. So he started taking, so Mo started taking us over to hang out with AMG and AMG took us to hang out with Quick from time to time. I started meeting other musicians in LA. I met this guy named, there's a couple of different parts. So one, my buddy Tremaine hooked me up with this guy named Big John, who was a DJ in Denver. John started coming out to Los Angeles because he loved the music that I was doing. And he shopped the publishing deal. We got a publishing deal with EMI. So now I'm like officially in the music business. One of the other guys that I met, Trey Ski, was the DJ for In Living Color. And they needed a new theme song for In Living Color. And I was playing instruments, like live instruments, and all of his stuff was sampling so or sampled. So he said, well, let's collaborate because we need to do something original for this theme song. We collaborated, landed the theme song for In Living Color. This was like... I was a junior. Yeah, it was nuts. That's crazy. <laughs> that is absolutely crazy. That's like this black culture icon in Living Color. Like, and you created the seat or collaborated on the theme song for In Living Color. Like, greatness. This is just greatness. This is black magic all right here. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. Thank you. So if you hear this laugh at the beginning, that's me laughing. You know, that was like the secret sauce. Like I figured now what would make them want to pick ours over, you know, the other submissions? And I said, well, it's a comedy show. So I'll just throw this laugh in here. And so if you hear like the Living Edition, Living Color box set or whatever, that laugh at the beginning, that's me laughing, just being silly. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy. It was a turning point for me because I got a big check and... I was in the middle of my engineering studies at USC, but I said, you know what? Everybody says, uh, you know, I'm so smart. I'm a valedictorian and all this academic scholarship. I should be able to figure out how to make a living doing what I love. I love math and science, but music was just so fun, is so fun. And so that was a turning point. I said, well, I can do this. I just landed this gig. I'm going to go for it. I graduated, used the money to buy a house. And I didn't just buy the house in cash. It wasn't that much money, but it was a down payment. And I bought a house in uh, Los Feliz, which is, you know, just north of Los Angeles. You know, we're kind of within Los Angeles, basically. And I set up a music studio there and I started producing for other artists. I had this rap group called Three Ways that there was this huge bidding war for. And one of the companies that we, I mean, we met with Russell Simmons, Leor Cohen, all the big record companies and Jive Records wanted to sign us. And how they wanted to try to convince us to sign was they said, well, if you work with us, you can work with all these cool artists on our label. Cool artists being E-40, Too Short, Spice One. So I did. I mean, how do you say no? <laughs> I didn't. I, well, I didn't sign with them. So the group broke up which is probably another story for another time. But I still did a song with E-40, the Sprinkle Me remix. So when Sprinkle Me came out, which is his first big single with Jive, 
the B-side was uh, my remix, and uh, they flew me out to the Bay Area to meet 40, and that was like my introduction to Bay Area rap. I mean, I was already listening to it, but that was my first time meeting 40, and from then on, I started doing production for E-40, The Loonies, Three Times Crazy, Drew Down, Too Short. Just all of these Bay Area artists. I was also working with artists in Los Angeles, Corrupt and the Dog Pound, WC, a Snoop. So my production career, you know, was really uh, moving forward. And I got a record deal myself with Atlantic Records. I started playing the talk box. When I got my record deal with Atlantic, one of the first things I bought was a talk box. So the talk box is this instrument that you use a tube, it goes in your mouth. And you make sounds and you do the California love and, and songs like uh, more bounce to the ounce. And, but so that'll be important. So pay attention to that for later. Uh, <laughs> we'll bookmark it. <laughs> book, bookmark that. So I started adding talk box to my productions that I was doing with E40. Then I, then a friend of mine named Mike Karen called me to do talk box for this record for TI. He had just signed TI to Atlantic. And the song was called Let Me Tell You Something. This producer named Kanye West, who nobody had heard of, had produced the record, or at least not everybody had heard of. And he loved the talk box part that I put on there. So he said, hey, come out to New York, jump on my album. I'm working on my new album. So I happened to be in New York not too long after, because I had I was working on E-40's My Ghetto Report Card album. That's, again, another incredible story, but I won't. <laughs> go too deep into that. <laughs> but, and so I played Talkbox. John Legend, Kanye, and I sat in the studio and wrote Kanye's workout plan. Ended up, you know, on the album. And I was like, man, this Kanye, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. But when the album came out, I was listening to the records on College Dropout. And I was like excited to hear all the features. Like, he's got Jay Z, he's got Most Deaf on there. He's, uh, you know, but. Every song that had a big feature, Kanye's verse was either just as good or even, you know, I mean, different. But, you know, he was neck and neck with some of my favorite rappers and the rest of the album was incredible. And I'm like, this guy's going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if it wasn't obvious to everyone else, it was obvious to me at that moment. And Kanye's workout plan ended up being the third single. And people... Other people started really calling me to play Talkbox. So I, I played with, right before that, I had played with Tupac and the Outlaws, um, played Talkbox for Limp Biscuit, for Tyrese. Then after the Kanye, I did stuff with Big Boy, and I did this record Shutterbug and played Talkbox on Shutterbug. That ended up getting a Grammy nomination and being probably still to this day Big Boy's biggest record. And like at this point, you're what, like 25, 26, uh, 27? Yeah, yeah, probably late, late. Yeah, I mean, you're still like super young. So let me go back for a second because you said in, so first of all, when you started DJing in middle school, after you won those turntables, people were hiring you. So you kind of had an idea that you could make a little bit of money off of your talent by, you know, I'm going to totally butcher this because I am I don't know the music lingo, but I guess just mixing records, right? And like DJing at the parties. And then you had another sort of epiphany in college when you received that check for this work that you had done. But when you realized that you could get paid, what shifted for you in your thinking from this is something I love to do 
and it's fun to this is something I love to do and I'm going to turn myself into a business. The turning myself into a business is actually much more recent. As a producer, I was a professional. Like, you know, I was thinking of myself more like an attorney, you know, other types of independent contractors. So I was now in actuality, it was a business. It was my own business. And I did, you know, incorporate, I, I created a Bombay Entertainment way back then. But I didn't have, and I took some entrepreneurship classes at USC, but I don't think I had enough of the business thinking. Like my sales and marketing was something that I, you know, was, I kind of found distasteful. And all of the administration and legal stuff was like a headache. And I just, my thinking around business wasn't quite right. I just wanted to, I won't say that I just wanted to make music because I was very, at that time, I was already doing cash flow projections with Excel. Like I was doing those in college and I was getting pretty good at understanding the contracts, even in college. And I think those are things that gave me a real advantage compared to some of my peers who were hiring people for everything. And I think it's it's super important to have a team, but it's also important to understand what's going on because otherwise you overpay, hire the wrong people, make bad decisions. And, you know, I was curious about all of those. Like, I think growing up in Portland, there's this real do-it-yourself attitude you know, it's different now, but at that time, what's different is at that time, if I needed to learn something, I knew I could go to the library and figure it out. Right. <laughs> right. The good old library used to be my favorite place. <laughs> yes. The good old library. And there are all of these bad jokes about, you know, if you want to hide something from black people, put it in a book. Oh, terrible. Right. And that wasn't me. I was like, shoot, put it in a book. I will find it. <laughs> I will find it and use it. So yes, it's not going to work on me. And that was just the culture, I think, that I grew up in Portland. Like, whatever it is, I, I need to register my song for a copyright. So I go to the library, find a book on how to register your st music for copyrights. And read the book, follow the instructions, get the handbook from the copyright office and send it off. So I was just, every obstacle that I encountered, I would research and overcome. And I didn't think of it as uh, outstanding or different. It's just how I wanted to do stuff and nobody else knew how to do it. So I just, that's just how you do it. You just go to the library and figure it out. I think that's really served me, you know, going forward because now, of course, you can, you don't have to go to the library. <laughs> you can find it on the internet, uh, YouTube University. It's still the same attitude. You encounter some challenge and you say, okay, well, I don't know how to do this. So let me look it up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I find that even with my students, you know, because I run a paralegal program also. And, you know, I'll say something and they're like, well, how do you do that? And I'm like, if you were training to be in this legal field, you have to have some curiosity and some research skills. But there are, we're just kind of in that day and age of just tell me what to do and how to do it. But I do think that the folks in general and certainly the entrepreneurs that are willing to investigate a little bit and not that you need to become the expert, but you do need to know enough to know what you don't know and to know when it's time to get help. Like, don't be foolish enough to do everything by yourself, but also don't be foolish enough to not arm yourself with the knowledge that you need to be successful in your field and in your craft. OK, so now you're like, oh, go ahead. 
yes, yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a combination of, you know, ask for as much help as you can get in parallel research as much as you can. So you're asking the right questions when you actually get in front of the person that you're asking. So I definitely, I knew I needed to make a living off the music and I did think about it in the business, as a business in that regard. I started to, you know, think about what are, you know, sales and marketing. Uh, you know, I'm looking back and saying, man, I could have done so much different. <laughs> <laughs> well, hindsight is always 2020 because you have new knowledge now that you didn't have back then. I, I would say you did pretty well. I think you did pretty well. <laughs> I'm very happy. I exceeded all of my, you know, expectations for sure. So let, I want to ask you about like your evolution then as an artist, because you said as a kid, you were playing all of these different instruments. And even in college, you were playing different instruments. And at some point you picked up this talk box, which is not an instrument like in the traditional sense, right? But it's a tool that you can use. So at what point did you realize that your skills, like your musical talent had to also evolve to keep up with what was going on and to be relevant in the market? Okay. So there was this huge, like my career was going along, you know, buzzing in 2005. But then around that time, the music industry started to have trouble with piracy and streaming hadn't even evolved yet. And iTunes had started, I believe, that just the money in the music business wasn't what it was. There wasn't as much money. Companies were closing and consolidating. I wasn't getting the same kind of fees. I had a lot of, I was working as an independent producer, doing songs for artists. And the expectation was that after I did the song, that they were going to pay me for the song and the song was going to come out. But because, partially because of the environment in the industry, but I was doing songs for people, but their record labels were shutting down or they weren't paying the advances, their albums weren't coming out. So the amount of work that I was doing was increasing, but the amount of money I was making was going down. <laughs> I was also... Part of my reaction to that was to start doing my own music. So I started working on my own album, really working on my singing. But then around the same time or a little bit later, I had started investing in real estate, had you know a house in a studio in Atlanta, and I was building a, a property in Los Angeles, and I had a condo conversion project I was doing in Oakland. And then the financial crisis hit, and all of that real estate you know, went from being a great asset to being a huge drag. I got into a fight with the bank at for the property I was building. They got seized by the FDIC. So then I had to sue the bank because they stopped my construction loan. I settled, but, you know, the settlement, I didn't get to do that project. And the condo conversion project, we had issues with that. And there was just all these real estate problems and all of the problems with the music business kind of coming together around the same time j cole actually sampled one of my songs he sampled the kanye's workout plan and he sampled my talk box and you know during this time when i wasn't doing as much producing i was still getting calls for talk box on different records but the j cole record ended up being a huge hit so j cole's workout and i'll play it for you in a second so that really like you know i got some nice publishing checks out of that. It was a nice lift for me at the time. I was still working with E40. Uh, I had always been uh, interested in tech. And because I didn't have the real estate, I didn't have a studio 
that I didn't have a place like this to record. <laughs> so I started asking my friends, you know, where can I record in Oakland? And my buddy Cool Nuts, who's from Portland, he said, man, call Chief XL. He's got a studio. Chief XL had a studio inside of Zoo Labs. And he said, man, you're a production legend, man. You can come use my studio anytime, free. <laughs> I said, thank you, my brother. Right. It was right on time. You know, I was going through basically, you know, a rough patch with all of the financial crisis and having to sell properties and all that. And uh, the first day I got here, they were having, it was the end of a residency. And I met uh, one of the founders of the Accelerator, Vanita Watson. And she asked, you know, she said, you're from the music business. Can you mentor these artists as they're coming through? I was like, yeah, heck yeah. And so then we had a, a meeting to talk about, you know, my career and how I might be able to mentor the artists that were going through their accelerator. And she said, well, you should apply for the accelerator because you can mentor too. But I think, you know, we have some resources and I'm looking around this studio like, yeah, I should apply. Because <laughs> <laughs> at this point you already had the idea for Electrospit or... Not yet. I had the idea for the, so the talk box, uh, as I mentioned before, the talk box, you use the tube, goes in your mouth, you have to plug it in, that goes out of here, and then you have to have a separate keyboard and all of these pieces. And when I did Kanye's workout plan, we performed it on the American Music Awards. I wanted to play live and freestyle and, you know, say Kanye, Bosco and all. I couldn't do that because I had to lip sync because the whole performance was dancing and motion. And it made me think, how can I make this portable? So I wanted to make a portable talk box. It was going to be merch for my, you know, music production, my recording as an artist. I applied to the accelerator to Zoo Labs. And I partnered with Maya Conte. She was uh, is my wife and marketing savant and Berkeley grad and a spiritual life coach. And Pete Miser, who's this really dope producer from Portland as well. He lives in New York now. He's also done, he's a visual artist and he's done music for, for film and TV, including like Super Bowl commercials and this guy named Lance Coleman, who's a really dope artist and MC from Atlanta, but he's also a digital strategist. He does a digital strategy for Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj. So I put a team together, which was one of the requirements for Zoo Labs. And I had always been a solo kind of uh, act, you know. And so that was important to get that team together. And once we came together and went through the accelerator, we realized that we started, there was this workshop called the Futures Thinking Workshop from the Institute from the Future or of the Future and of Futures Thinking, IFTF. And we started thinking about what are the trends in the music business and the music business has in music production. It's gone from these big studios to these computers, desktop computers to laptop computers. And then we saw in the future that it was going to be all on the phone or a lot of it will be done on the phone. And it's a lot easier to compete with the future than the present. Because in the present, you're competing against all of these incumbents, these other companies that have tons of resources, but they're worried about today. But in the future, nobody's there. <laughs> right, 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 right. 
that's a good little nugget of advice for your entrepreneurs out there. You know, don't compete with today, compete with the future. Compete, because it's going to take you time to build your business and your product anyway. So you might as well build for something in the future rather than build for today. And then five years from now, it's old. Are you ready to form your California LLC? Well, guess what? I have the solution for you. In my pre-recorded online video instructions called From Me to LLC. In that course, which is not really a course because it's not that long, uh, I walk you through the exact steps that I take as an attorney to form California LLCs for my clients. Now, why is this better than doing it on your own or using LegalZoom? It's because I've formed hundreds of LLCs at this point, and I know all of the sticking points that get people into trouble. So as I'm walking you through the process, I'm also explaining to you why I'm doing the things that I'm doing and what choices you can make that will best protect your business. So if you're ready to form your California LLC, head on over to transcendthemembership.com slash LLC and sign up today. So what we did was we took the talk box and instead of using the talk box technology, we used another, this is one of our first prototypes we came up with right after the residency. It's like Ace Hardware, PVC pipe screwed together, glue, and this is, you know, rubber from the inner tube cut out and, you know, pieces of automotive like clips that I use, like all of these, like everything is pretty much from Ace Hardware but it makes the similar sound to the talk box. It doesn't sound nearly as good, but you don't have the tube in your mouth that makes you talk like this. It's more portable. And that was our first, you know, prototype. And then we instantly saw that or got excited, like instead of we were going to be a rap group and have this merch, which was this portable talk box. But instead we said, we're going to flip it and we're going to be a hardware company and use the music to promote the sale of the instrument. If you look across artists like right now in business, even large artists, they're making the majority of their money from things besides music. The music becomes like advertising or um, I won't call it a lost leader, but it's just if Jay-Z is a billionaire and probably only 10% or 20% of his money comes from music, it's all comes from his music and his notoriety and his celebrity. But the actual dollars come from sales of champagne, sales of clothes, sales of art, sales of technology businesses. Right. It's like the music has become the brand awareness tool and then creates that sort of relationship and that trust, that no like and trust factor. And then once you have that, you can point people to whatever other direction that you want that is a little bit more lucrative for you as a business owner. Yes. Absolutely. So we wanted to do that with our business because, I mean, I had been producing records and I had been making songs and I loved it, but I was ready for more control, for more revenue, more financing. It's really hard. You know, you make a great song and then, but to blow it up, you need money. Where's the money going to come from? Well, usually from a record company and they want to own everything. So the upside is going to be limited. Whereas if you are selling hardware or a piece of, you know, technology, it probably takes a similar amount of money to really, you know, get it started, you know, but you can get loans, you can get inventory financing on expected sales, you can get grants. There's like a whole ecosystem around creating businesses that doesn't 
creating hardware businesses and creating non-music businesses that doesn't really exist for music, or at least that's one of the things that we're building and that we're putting together, but it's not as common. Got it. So the TalkBot or the Electric Spit allows you to change your vocals, right? And add different instruments sort of at your fingertips. So it becomes this smaller computer production tool. So the original talk box, not portable, hard to talk with. Electrospit talk box, which this is our current version, the ESX1. It goes around your neck like so. You can change your colors <laughs> and you use an app. We created an app that has the synthesizer. And so instead of, you know, having a, a big synth you have to carry around, you just have it all right in your palm. And then you connect the output from the phone to the ESX1 talk box. And then California love, California, no side of party. California, no side of party. Electro spit, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Like, if you're not watching this right now, if you're just listening to the audio, my smile is so big because that just brings up, like, all of the memories and all the feels from, like, middle and high school. That is so cool. (laughs) Thank you. So that's that's what you can do with it. And it's right in the palm of your hands. It's portable. It's easier to pronounce your words. You don't have to know how to play a keyboard to play it. So there are a lot of advantages. And there's a wow factor to when you you see the talk box and hear the talk box because it's like, it sounds human, but a little bit like not quite human. So you're like, what is that sound? And that excitement of hearing the talk box and then seeing the new form factor when we started sharing it on Instagram, celebrities were hitting us. Teddy Riley saw it and reached out and said, hey, what's that? <laughs> and I had no previous relationship with Teddy Riley, but I hit him back and said, hey, you know, would you like to try it? He's like, yeah, I want to try it. So I flew out to Vegas. He's living in Vegas now. I showed Teddy Riley. I got all of this great video of him playing his hit songs, his reaction. Then I did the same with David Guetta. David Guetta. I was fortunate that I was working with him on a record he wanted talk box and then I showed him the electro spit and he just lost his mind. He's like, "What is this? This is incredible." And I captured it on video. So I'm just I'm basically going through around LA and around the country capturing people's reaction to the product on video. All of that footage was compiled into a Kickstarter video. And when we launched our Kickstarter and people saw these celebrities going crazy for this product, you know, we instantly shot up. We started getting reposted. Just Blaze reposted it. Uh, Pete Rock reposted it. We got like 40,000 views on, you know, and 100,000 views on a couple of different Kickstarter promo videos on Instagram. We only had 700 followers at the time. And this is this is 2018. And our Kickstarter was funded in 48 hours. And then went on to go like uh, 300% of our original goal. Tell me about Stevie Wonder, though, because, you know, I've heard this before, but, you know, I love Stevie. So I just, (laughs) what was Stevie's reaction? He got his product into the hands of Stevie Wonder, y'all. Just like, let that sink in as if all of the other connections weren't enough to be amazing. But Stevie? Okay, so after we did the Kickstarter, 
I flew to China to figure out the manufacturing for the product. When I got there, some of the quotes that I had got, you know, that were 40,000 or 20,000, they say, well, no, it's going to be more like 80,000 and you need more development. So I kind of came home from China with a little disappointed, but with a lot more information, I understood how manufacturing worked a lot better after having talked to the different people in China. But we didn't have enough money. We had to redesign the product, make it adjustable for different necks. We had to make it so you could break it apart and mold it for the manufacturing. We knew we had to raise more money. We didn't have it. And I'm creative. So <laughs> what I did was I talked to the injection molding company, which is this company called Fictive. And they were also a startup. So they were pretty flexible on how they were doing business. And I said, can I get some samples? I don't have the 60000 I need for the injection molds, but I can give you a deposit. And then samples were already part of the process. So they said, well, yeah, we can give you like five samples. So I said, hmm, can I get more samples? He said, well, how about we could give you 25? I said, can you give me 50? We've never done it before, but hey, why not? You know? doesn't cost them anything. It's just 10 cents piece of plastic. Got 50 samples, launched an equity crowdfunding campaign in exchange for a $1,000 investment in Electrospit. You got one of these essentially prototypes, but no, there was only one Electrospit at the time. So these prototypes were in high demand. So $50,000 later, <laughs> we had the money to start manufacturing. So this was the beginning of, of 2019. But in that process, one of the things that I did, I was posting on Instagram, trying to figure out, you know, how to get the crowdfunding going, you know, sell people this device. So I was demonstrating it. And I thought, what would be one of the coolest things to do with it? Well, what if I could play with Stevie Wonder? So I, I didn't know Stevie Wonder. So I said, well, I'm going to take one of his old videos. So I got one of his old videos from the 70s of him playing Talkbox, and I put it side by side with me playing with him. And I posted and I said, man, wouldn't this be amazing? And it was just kind of a fluke. There really wasn't like this deep strategy behind it. It was just, it was just me dreaming. And I did it late at night and my wife was asleep, so I couldn't make any noise. So I had the headphones on and the volume like super low. <laughs> and the next day, this was a Friday, I got a DM from this guy, Mike Phillips. And he said, this is crazy. Uh, I want to try it. I only had one, mind you, at this time. So I said, well, are you going to be in Oakland anytime soon? He's like, no, I'm not. Not for a couple of weeks. I said, well, cool. We'll hook up then. And he said, I'm actually also performing on Monday in San Francisco. And I said, oh, yeah. He said, yeah, I'm part of Stevie Wonder's band for this uh, performance. It's like, oh. And he's like, would you like to show it to Stevie? Like, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, you're like that's why I made the video. <laughs> right, what kind of question is that? That's that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> he gets in touch with uh, Stevie, so I post the video on Friday. On Monday, I was at the Four Seasons with Stevie Wonder at the hotel, showing him the Electro Spit Talk Box. He takes it. He's playing all of his hits. He played some. of I played him some of my songs. He played my songs on there. It was just a dream because Stevie is my favorite artist of all time. I have a picture on our Instagram and you just see me smiling like ear to ear. I'm just like so happy. And when I posted that picture, we did 10,000 in investment 
that day from that one picture. I posted that picture, no advertisements or anything. Just posted that picture on our Instagram with seven. We had at that time, I think we had like 1400 followers or something. We don't have this huge audience. Boom, 10,000 in investments. Just like that. One of the guys from his team, Lamar, introduced us to Corey Henry, who's another incredible keyboardist, and said, man, you need to talk to Corey Henry. He needs to see this electro spit. So we went out to New York and hung out with Corey Henry, showed it to him. He's got 500,000 Instagram followers. He posted a video of using it, another 10,000. Boom. So it's like that influencer marketing connection, like, funded us and allowed us to start manufacturing. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a few, there's quite a few things that I want to highlight, but your story is just absolutely fascinating. But one of them, like you just said, the power of the network, right? So you had all of these years of creating these relationships and building goodwill amongst folks, you know, pre-Electro Spit, pre, you know, putting yourself into the market in a different way than you had before that have all come to serve you because people aren't going to recommend you or their product if they don't like you or feel good about you or if your reputation, you know, hadn't supported that beforehand. So for all of us listening, don't underestimate the power of relationships and building them before you need something. Two, I love the pivot from, you know, here I am in the studio. I want my own rap group. We're going to do it a couple different times. I'm going to make my own music to let me see how I can still do my craft and be in the business, but not necessarily the one who's making the songs, right? So now you have become, you've pivoted to become not necessarily indispensable, but this new hot wave of technology that artists that you've worked with in the past now want to go back and see what you've got going on now. So you saw that the game of like being the artist, making the song, it's hard to make money, all these streaming apps and things like that, they've diluted, you know, the income that was there previously. But instead of saying, forget it, we found a way to pivot and to provide something valuable to the market. So, you know, big lesson on that as well. And then also the creativity about funding and negotiating, thinking about, well, there's only one prototype right now. So let me go back and see if I can get some more samples. Okay, five. Well, how about 10? Well, what about 25? Okay, what, like 50, right? You know, just, I think sometimes we are so, a lot of times when we're starting out, we're not always confident in what it is that we're doing. And so we hesitate to ask for more. But those little, what's the worst they could have told you? No, I can only do five. Okay, you would have done something with the five, right? But you got 50 prototypes that you were able to then use, not just to hand out for free, but because you needed an infusion of capital, you said, let me use what I've got to see how I can raise this money. And I think just kudos for you on that creativity as well, because oftentimes we get stuck or we think that we're stuck and we shut down, but there's always a way, right? Just keep digging, keep digging a little bit more. Yeah. I think it's in negotiation. I always look for other ways. Like if the money is an obstacle, then what are the other assets? What are the other things that we can trade? What's the other value that I can bring or that I can deliver? You know, the company that was doing the manufacturing, they didn't care about those samples. They were just a throwaway, you know, to them. There was a way to get the so I could say, oh, this isn't right, and I can make this change. And then, but it cost them almost exactly the same amount to make fifty as it did to make five. Instead of 
twenty dollars it cost them thirty dollars or something <laughs> and for me it was the difference between it was fifty thousand dollars and then with the customers like if i say it's a thousand dollars for this instrument that is i mean it's a sale that could be made but instead i said hey you invest a thousand dollars in electro spit which is something that can grow and you get this product for free essentially Right. It's like the bonus gift because they're thinking about getting money back on their investment in the form of cash later on. But as an incentive is, oh, and you get to play with this awesome tool. Yes. And for them, a lot of them, maybe they weren't really like tech investors or, you know, that wasn't their main motivation. They really just wanted the gear. But it's an easier sell. It's not like, oh, I'm just paying a super high price for this piece of gear. No, I'm investing in this company and I'm part of the people who are going to be influencing the future of this instrument. I'm supporting, you know, somebody who's I see myself in their shoes someday of creating my own business. So there are a lot of other reasons why the psychology of investing a thousand dollars for this instrument was much easier for people than just buying it outright it made it so we could raise the money that we needed to do the manufacturing. But yeah, just being creative, you know, and that's one of the things I was talking about earlier as artists, we think sometimes that the creativity stops when you walk out of the studio, but it doesn't. You should be, you have to be creative in your marketing, creative in the way that you manage your relationships. And, you know, the best artists, that's one of the reasons they're successful is because they are creative. They get stuck and they say, well, there's another way we can do this different. Right, right. And yeah, and just taking the time sometimes to figure it out. It might not just pop up, you know, instantly, but giving that space to make it happen. Another thing too is, you know, before this, you hadn't done anything in manufacturing, right? So I'm assuming you had to figure out that process and, you know, maybe go slow, maybe speed up and then, you know, make some adjustments as needed. But even though it was a new realm, you didn't let that stop you. You pushed through to figure out what you needed to figure out to get the thing done. It's that same spirit from Portland of, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't know how to fix my bike. <laughs> and I would, you know, go over to my friend's house who maybe knew how to fix bikes and maybe go to the bike shop and ask a couple questions. Or It's like you can figure it out. You just have to be patient with yourself. And the same thing with the manufacturing. I had no idea. Now, I did have a mechanical engineering degree, but especially at a school like USC, what that means is I studied, you know, lots of textbooks and, you know, I did lots of physics and calculus and... Yeah, you understand the theory behind it, not necessarily the practice. I hadn't built anything. (laughs) I think that maybe the programs that you in colleges, especially in USC, are different now where there's probably a lot more hands-on just because the manufacturing technology is different now, but at that time, it was all theoretical, you know? I mean, it was just like, I was probably studying how to make a rocket, but in practice, I was just making like a toothpick car. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, obviously, I think your story is incredible, which is why I asked you to be on this podcast. And then this has sort of come full circle. So Zoo Labs is where your accelerator was But now you have taken over and secured funding to buy the property where Zoo Labs used to be housed out of. And then now you are going to be running this nonprofit that gives back to the community the same 
that you got from Zoo Labs. So tell us if people are artists or, you know, want to get involved, like how do they do that and what should they be looking out for? So, yes, as you just described, so the success of Electrospit, you know, we were able to raise the money to manufacture. We won first place at the Guthman Awards, which is the top award for musical instruments. Our sales, our sales dropped off right after winning the award because the pandemic started. (laughs) But through the pandemic, we used some of that same creativity. When the manufacturing and the warehouse was closed, I was taking parts around from employee to employee. They were building it at home. And, and, you know, we had this whole map through the Bay Area where the product would go to this person's house and this person's house. And then they take it to the next to get it built. And, you know, we figured out how to build a product, how to deliver it to all of our Kickstarter backers. And then we started in the fall of 2020. We started doing some advertising. David Guetta started using, he created a video that we didn't even know about just because of the, during the pandemic, I know we're probably over time, but I'm going to tell this quick story. Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) During the pandemic, David Guetta hit me on FaceTime and I had an Android phone and I just happened to have an old iPhone that was still connected to FaceTime. So I look at it, this is like uh, March or something and like David get I'm like I had never talked to him on the phone on FaceTime before it's like why is David Getta hitting me and uh, so I said I better answer so he says hey Bosco can you teach me how to play talk box I'm on lockdown in Miami I can't go anywhere I want to learn like heck yeah so he buys a whole like a whole package like a couple of electro spit talk boxes a couple of keyboards I ship it to him overnight We're going online on FaceTime and I'm showing him, you know, how to set everything up and how to play for like two weeks. We're just like going hard. And then I got him to the point where he felt comfortable and he did a performance at this huge fundraiser on the top of like one of these famous buildings in New York. But, you know, one of the tallest buildings in New York, he did a a concert there. But then I didn't hear from him for like six months. And then I get this call. Hey, a friend of mine said, man, that video you got with David Guetta is really cool. And I was like, what video? And he had done a demonstration of playing the talk box with the Electrospit talk box with this magazine called DJ Mag. He's got millions of followers. They have millions of followers. Our video or our website traffic like tripled for the next three months. Our sales tripled for three months. We took some of that video along with some of the other influencer video that we had and put it into and made a commercial, our sales went from, and we we started doing Facebook ads with that video and our sales in the holidays went from October, we did like 16,000. November, we did 29,000. December, we did 50,000. Our sales just like shot up and, you know, it was all basically based on, you know, relationships and influencers and advertising, just, you know, creativity. So essentially, Electrospit is blowing up, right? At the same time, the owners of the building, because of the pandemic, and partially because of the pandemic, also because they are doing just they had other interests and they're thinking about, you know, moving and building properties and they just had other things that they wanted to work on. They didn't want to be bothered with a physical location. And the George Floyd protests are happening. And I'm thinking, how can I give back to the black community? And I couldn't create a billion dollar fund. You know, I wasn't ready to fund that myself. But what I did have was the blueprint for 
electro spit and I had these relationships and I had this experience. So, and I was already doing mentoring, mentoring other artists, but I said, well, why don't I buy this building, which I didn't have the money for. (laughs) Well, I mean, you're creative. You always found a way to get it done. But find a way. So I said, they want to get rid of the building. I'm going to buy the building and create a new incubator and share all of these, all this information and these resources with other artists so that instead of one music business like Electrospit, let's make 50 million dollar black owned music related businesses and a network of resources and mentors and financing and i just had a a vision for that and i started working on it in the middle of the pandemic i decided that it needed to be a nonprofit because that was there was more funding available at least for startup and that's the vision the vision is impact so there was a nonprofit organization called CAST, Community Arts Stabilization Trust, that was interested in getting behind it. I started making partnerships with, with Zoo Labs, partnerships with Runway Family, who had, had financed Electrospit, and building a deck. Part of my journey with Electrospit was learning how to sell an idea or to get you know support for an idea by creating pitch decks and financial models. And I did the same thing with the Black Music Entrepreneurship Incubator. People responded to the idea. Uh, There was a grant for acquisition of property from the William Hewitt Foundation. We applied and this was a year. It took a year to put all of this together, you know, all the ideas and the pitch decks and the models. And But we won the grant in December for $707,000 to buy the building. And not only the building is more than 707000 it's like a $3.5 million building, but that's a big chunk of the money. And then I found uh, financing from CAST and seller, there's seller financing, but also because of the success of Electrospit, because of the strength of our pitch deck, and now because uh, an organization like Hewlett, who's done all of this due diligence, has shown the faith in this vision and organization, we will be able to raise the rest of the money. And if you're listening, you can go to blackmusicincubator.org and donate if you want to support this vision and support this acquisition of the property and support our programs, which are all about taking artists and helping them create businesses so that they can create art and not get pushed out of the Bay Area because of the high cost of living. And so they can raise a family and they can continue to make music year after year. So that's kind of how it came together. And we have a a launch event that's coming up. The end of the month, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, January 30th. It's called The Crowning. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Double entendre. But it's the birth. It's the birth of this organization and the birth of these resources that we're making available to artists and, and collaborating with artists because I think one of the reasons that Hewlett and the and Cast and the Watsons got behind my vision is they saw the way that I have made Electrospit a reality from a vision and that, you know, investing in something that I'm building, it can grow and sustain itself as opposed to it's just not like, okay, we'll give them some money and then that's it, you know, he's gone or You'll have to get more the same amount of money next year. No, we're going to create something with this and 
find other resources and, and, and take it and grow it. And that's what this incubator is all about. It's, and we're doing the same thing with artists. So I said that to say, I don't think of the artists that come through the incubator as like, okay, here's this charity, this, you know, quote unquote charity case, and we're just going to give them something and then that's it. No, we're helping them create something, a business, sharing our resources. They may go and create a business that's bigger than our business and help us, you know, with resources and promotion. And we can create partnerships just the same way that I'm done with Electrospit. You know, I, I took this business that was just an idea. I had got support from all these organizations. Now I'm bringing resources to those organizations and helping to further their goals in terms of impact. So, Right. It truly is an ecosystem. We keep using that word, but it really, really is an ecosystem. Well, I just want to say thank you again for sharing the story. But there's, you know, if you have the opportunity to listen to this episode more than once, definitely do it because there are so many just lessons and gems just from you telling your story from being able to pivot, you know, getting creative with financing, even just you know, the prototype. I feel like sometimes we think that it's got to be this million dollar idea in the very beginning. But like you said, you put the prototype together from Ace Hardware materials, right? And like, that's the, and you will probably always keep that as a reminder of what it started as. And then there will be, you know, upgrades in the future. So kudos to you for like, taking all of your learning and all of your background and putting it into this moment and for turning around and giving your knowledge and your skills and your expertise back to those artists who want to come behind you. I think we are lucky to have you in the community. And I'm lucky and grateful to have you on this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Thank you for helping to spread you know, the information because we need to work together to bring this information and resources to our community. You know, if, if people want to contact me, you know, go to electrospit.com. If you're interested in buying a, a TalkBox or you want to learn more about TalkBox, we have an active campaign on Republic right now uh, where you can invest and own a piece of Electrospit. So that's republic.com slash Electrospit, E-L-E-C-T-R-O-S-P-I-T. And the company's on a great trajectory I think I mentioned it earlier, but we have this, we're on this record called Levitating, which is the biggest song of 2021. David Guetta is one of our advisors. E40s is an advisor. Just Blaze is an advisor. So we have incredible team of artists as well as our own team that's pushing Electrospit forward. And then if you want to get involved in the incubator, whether that's applying, uh, mentoring, or just coming to our events, to hear some of the amazing artists that are uh, in the Bay Area, just go to blackmusicincubator.org. Sign up. Got it. Thank you so much. And one last question. This is also the Electrospit talk box is also something that children can use, right? So if someone wanted to get it for their kids, is that an idea? I would say right now, the current version, you have to be a certain size. So like close to adult size, like women, women can use it. I would say you have to have a neck size that is above 12, 12 inches. Okay. <laughs> Something I have never, ever thought to measure. <laughs> you know, the average adult can use it, whether male or female. Kids, if they're small, smaller than a small adult, then we're not there yet. We're working on it. We will get there. So, you know, this is the prototype for the next version. And that's what we're building with the money from the campaign on Republic is the next version that will address some of those issues that we can 
uh, get to a wider audience that's even easier to use, sounds even better, and it's less expensive. So Awesome. Well, thank you, Bosco. Y'all, don't forget to go reach out to Bosco, check out the websites, check out Electrospit, and certainly go uh, look for it on social media so you can see all the artists using it in action. We'll see you next week. Hey there, thanks for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed the episode this week. I am so, so grateful for to have you here. And I hope that you are ready and feeling empowered to build your own business. You are needed, you are important, and I wanna support you. So if you have just started a new business and you're not sure what to do next, I've got a great checklist for you to download called the New Business Checklist. Head on over to transcendthemembership.com slash checklist input your name and your email into the box and you'll get the checklist instantly. Also, I want to ask you one more favor. If you want to interact with me on a daily basis, head on over to Instagram and follow my account at Asha Wilkerson ESQ on IG. I post on there daily. Can't wait to answer your questions and begin the conversation. Talk to you soon. family. I am so thankful that you are here listening to Transcend the Podcast. And I just want to make sure you know the best way to stay in contact with me. And that's through joining my email newsletter. So please head on over to the wilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter and join the list. I will tell you everything over there from what my offerings are to bits and pieces of information about how to grow and scale your business to self-coaching all the way to giving you updates on what the new podcast episode is. So don't hesitate. Go do it now. The wilkersonlawoffice.com slash newsletter. Thanks.